Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. It's Jackie. And Thanksgiving is upon us. And this year's a bit strange because none of us have celebrated Thanksgiving during a pandemic in the middle of a contentious election cycle. And many of you have shared your angst with me about going home and the potential for explosive conversations that could actually harm your relationships. And others of you have shared, you know, time around the table with family and friends. It's kind of boring. Just a lot of small talk, and you usually leave feeling like, well, Quite frankly, it was a waste of time. And so I was thinking, what if this year we got intentional about our time around the table? What if we could mitigate boring or charged conversations by offering up an alternative to our loved ones? What if we sent out a text today to everybody that's coming and just suggest, hey, how about we decide ahead of time what we aren't and are going to talk about? You know, so we don't talk about things that could actually blow us up like the pandemic, masks, politics, Black Lives Matter. Instead, perhaps we could throw out some fun questions, intentional, investigative, get-to-know-each-other-better questions. One of the things we've learned in our family as we've asked questions around the table is it's helpful to hold to a one-conversation rule. And that is exactly what it sounds like, a one-conversation rule. Someone asks a question and another person responds, one person at a time. Now, you around the table can ask that person who's talking to clarify or to add something to the story, but essentially, they have the floor for a little while, and then the next person goes, and the next person goes. And don't go in a circle or a line, because that's just not very organic. Just let someone start, and then pop it off from there. Okay. So I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't, I don't know any fun questions to ask. Well, I'm so glad because I do. Let me just offer up a few questions for you, just suggestions. Like question number one, if you could have everyone experience a childhood experience of yours, what would it be? Question number two, if you could have three people to your house for dinner, who would they be and why? Number three, What foods do you crave from your childhood, your hometown? In other words, if you were to go back to your hometown, you'd have to eat at so-and-so's or you'd have to have so-and-so's fill in the blank. Number four, if you could have any view from your front porch or back porch, what would it be? And finally, for those whose families permit a spiritual question, you might want to ask this, Jesus, what are you looking for? I would love to hear the answer to that question. Jesus, what are you looking for? And by the way, you don't have to write these down or you know, be frightful that you didn't catch it all. I'm going to post them on our Facebook page, so they'll be there. 
But hopefully this is just a helpful start. Feel free to get creative. Ask others to participate in the process of coming up with fun questions. That's the point. Instead of this being a potentially explosive time around the table, it can actually be fun. What I do know is the ordinary table is a space where Jesus can breathe life into those who sit around it. And we all need a little bit of his goodness and beauty right about now. And I thought I'd, I'd reshare a podcast like, that I did earlier this summer on what the table meant to me and what it meant in Jesus's day. And hopefully as you listen, as you go about preparing for tomorrow's day, hopefully you'll be inspired to consider what it could mean for you this Thanksgiving. And just to give you a heads up, I'll be taking a short break from podcasting. And Jackie Always Unplugged will be back with you at the beginning of the new year. Woohoo! Are we all ready for 2021? Happy Thanksgiving, guys. I'm so thankful for all of you listeners. The table. It's a place where people gather and eat, or noticeably don't. The table, or the lack thereof a table, communicates something about our family, right? Our upbringing. It was around the table that values and social norms were imparted and social etiquette was requested. This is true today, and it was even more so during Jesus' day. I know you were probably wondering, how on earth is she going to tie the table to Jesus? Oh, watch me. We can do this. Meals. They've always communicated a story about a family, about friends, about enemies, about social norms and values. And I'm aware as I enter into this conversation about the table, for some of you, it's actually a painful topic. What you learn from your family around the table isn't anything you want to revisit. My hope for you is that in this series called The Table, as we dig in, you will let Jesus redefine the table for you. If you ask me what the table was represented in my family, I'd say, oh, it was good food from the ground and honest, raw, even volatile conversations. Nothing was ever off limits at the table. The table I grew up at in was, was small. There were five of us kids and another kid that lived with us and my parents, and we crammed all into this 1,100-square-foot house. My mom cooked everything from scratch and mostly stuff out of the garden. After all, we were crop farmers. We did farm-to-table thing before it was in. I kind of laugh sometimes at that hip new movement. People think they've discovered something new, you know, the farm-to-table. I want to say to them, like, it's called farming, and people have been doing it forever. Hello? Anyway, my mom cooked a lot for everyone, for all of us in the family, and even the farm help. Often, you could come to my house and you would see many of us not only sitting around the table, but several of us sitting on the countertops or standing while we were eating. Every meal was like a feast. And in case you think this is just my childhood fantasy mind making it up, I'm going to ask my husband, Steve. He's coming right over here. Steve, I want you to tell everybody what it was like the first time you came to my house. And I think it was at lunch, wasn't it? It was at lunch, actually. It was crazy. It was nothing like I'd experienced before. I can tell you that right now. I walked into that kitchen, which might have been 10 feet by 8 feet, with a table that seemed like it was 10 feet by 8 feet, crammed with people everywhere. And on the table, that was what was crazy, too. It was lunchtime. 
And I mean, it was the middle of a work day and there were two whole chickens. There were two big piles of corn on the cob. Must've been, seemed like a hundred years of corn probably wasn't everybody grabbing stuff left and right, having big conversations, talking intensely to each other. And I'm trying to figure out what in the world's going on. I'm trying to engage because I do like an engaging conversation and there's a lot going on, you know, a lot of different things being talked about. And I wind, wound up <laughs> in, a, in a deep conversation with the, your brother. And as he's talking to me and we're talking to each other, he gets up from the table and he walks over to this, to the bathroom, which is right there, right next to me. I mean, it, this tiny little kitchen had a bathroom right there. Opens the door and goes in and proceeds to sit down in the toilet and continue to have a conversation with me. He didn't shut the door. No, I was, I was kind of awestruck at the whole thing. <laughs> I, I was flabbergasted. I, I realized I'd experienced something pretty unique. I mean, this fabulous conversation and food, but later on I had to ask you, I mean, hey, what is going on with the bathroom? Yeah, lots of people think that bathroom thing is weird, but we didn't because we didn't want to miss anything that was going on in the room. The table was a central place in our home, and it taught us kids all kinds of specific norms and values that our family had. Although perhaps it missed in the etiquette <laughs> file. But so, you know, it might be a good question for you to ask yourself, or I don't know, ask your family or friends that you might be having dinner with right now. I know that's a limited group, but you might want to ask them this question What value or social norms did you take away from your family's table? Or you could even ask, like, looking back on your family's table, how would you describe your family's relationship to food? That's another really great revealing question. I've asked these questions many times in informal settings and even some of my formal speaking engagements, and I have found the answers to be fascinating and highly revealing. By the way, if you want to share yours, you can go over to the Facebook group, Jackie Always Unplugged. I'd love to hear it, which leads me to burning my table. Yeah, burning the table. You heard that correctly. Oh, and by the way, if at the end of this episode, you find your heart is burning on fire for what we're talking about, how about subscribe to Jackie Always Unplugged on iTunes or Apple, whatever channel you listen to. And if there's ever a podcast to pass to one of your table friends, this is it. So yeah, burned the table. We did it. Why? Well, that's a really good question. Let me explain how we got there. So Steve and I lived in Dallas for 28 years. And last year, in 2019, we decided it was time to move to an apartment in Austin. And our table, the one we'd have for over 25 years, wasn't going to fit in new, this new apartment. And so I had to figure out, what are we going to do with it? It needed to be refinished really bad. I mean, it was one of those tables that was so old that the finish was coming off. And, you know, it sticks to the arm when you, when you put your arm down. It definitely needed some work. But it was still sturdy and well-built. Surely someone would be blessed to have this free table, right? except there was something in me. I just couldn't pass it over. And I kept thinking to myself, what if the person who gets it doesn't ever eat at it? Or if the father in the family comes home drunk at the dinner table, or a child sits at this table and is alone and unknown there. And the idea of it being misused in this way, it, it, was, it was bothersome for me. And I know that may sound like a little bit stupid, but, but I can't help it. It just was what was going on in my mind. And one night I mentioned it to a group of people we were having over to dinner at the table. 
And one woman who I barely knew, I think I'd only been introduced to her twice, said to me, well, why don't you burn it? It sounds like it's sacred. Burn it. And then that sent me to the scriptures. Yes, that sent me to the scriptures. What is sacred? What is holy? How did things get that were ordinary, like things in the tabernacle, like the lamp and the table? How did they become holy and sacred? So I did all of this research because that's kind of how I'm wired. So I could figure out what to do with my table. And what I discovered is my table is holy. It fits the biblical definition of holy. In scripture, particularly in reference to the temple, we read these ordinary objects that are set apart for a particular purpose, a particular purpose of honoring God. And when I pondered what scriptures teach about holiness and sacredness, I realized my table was just that. And the idea of someone using the table in any other way than holy or sacred was was really a little bit too much for me to bear. And so I decided, well, I asked Steve if it was okay, and together we decided, as an act, maybe you could even say a sacrifice of thanksgiving, that we would burn it. We'd send it off with gratitude. And so I sent out an invite to all my kids and several of our closest friends, friends who'd been around that table for decades, and I invited them to our table burning party. It was October 19th, 2019. I remember because it was the weekend of my 54th birthday. My oldest son, Hunter, and his significant other, Lauren, and my daughter, Madison, all drove up from Austin. My son, Hampton, flew in from Boston. Yep. All of my kids knew this was important to me. Some of our closest friends came and we feasted one last time around the table. Our friends, Greg and Krista, they made this amazing meat and cheese trade. It was to die for. And I cooked pigs in the blanket, New England style people, not the hot dog in the bun kind of stuff. Now, this was the real deal. It's an old recipe from my great aunt Sally, who owned the Tally Ho in Oneonta, New York. Yeah. I made pigs in the blanket, old style. And my friend Kelly, who doesn't even like to cook, she baked one of my favorite cakes, lemon blueberry cake. And we drank wine and beer and Topo Chico's because we were in Texas, of course. And so there was food and food and good food and good conversation. You can tell, good food and good conversation. They're my hobbies. But before we burned it, We had each person write a word or two on the table that depicted what the table meant to them. What difference did being around this table make in their lives? My friend Krista, Greg's wife, she wrote this, and I think it's so beautiful. It tells you why this table was holy and sacred. She said, I met Jackie Reese on my birthday, so Krista came to my house on her birthday in 2008. Jackie and Steve had just moved into their new townhouse, the place that we were now leaving, and Greg offered to bring over a meat and cheese tray. Alas, why I asked them to bring it at the final meal. She goes on to say, we had just started attending Irving Bible Church, and Greg had heard about Water is Basic and introduced himself to Steve. And Jackie had just preached from the pulpit for the first time, and I didn't know that that was such a big deal at the time. Brian and Allison were there helping them unpack, and Kelly came a bit later. This was my first experience with, quote unquote, the art of the Reese table. I had never sat around a table or in any space and had the type of discussions, interactions, expression, expressed compassion, encouragement, understanding, acceptance of faith and hope. It was a night that changed our lives forever. 
I left their house that night in 2008 with two comments to Greg. One, I really like those people. And two, I think I could be friends with Jackie if she just didn't talk about Jesus so much. (laughs) She actually said that. She goes on to say, the beauty and art of the Reese's table was not in the style of the legs or the color of the paint. It was in the people that sat around the table and have sat around the table for years. It was in the openness, acceptance, emotions, challenges, and heart at the table. Great art inspires and invokes emotion and thought, and I am grateful for the art of the Reese's table. Powerful, right? That's holy. That's sacred. Madison shared some things too. Her word for the table was ordinary. She did acknowledge that exceptional things had happened around her table, but more than not, She said ordinary life happened, day in and day out stuff. According to her, we ate a lot of chicken and rice. I mean, a lot. She said, that's all I ever cooked. I'm glad the boys were there because they were like prodding her memory to the fact that that was indeed not all that I ever cooked. For her, the table represented ordinary life. Chicken and rice, marriage, family, friends, neighborhood, coworkers, just everyday ordinary life. And that, too, is holy and sacred, isn't it? Others wrote words like investment, unstable to stable, lifelong friendships, love, faith, the people. They were accurate. Holy stuff happened around this table. Steve and I calculated that over the years, our table had held the stories of over 2,000 people. We hosted years of wine and cheeses and held decades of staff and board meetings and hosted baby showers and engagement parties and birthday parties. We gathered around that table when a young college student died and a father was killed in a car accident and a young man who was like a fourth child to me committed suicide. I sat around that table with my kids and their friends while they shared painful things that were going on in their lives. Kids that shared with me that their parents were getting a divorce, that their mother was abusive, that their home was empty and lonely. Kids that shared with me breakups with girlfriends and boyfriends. I sat up till wee hours of the night discussing theology and philosophy with my kids and my kids' friends. I sat with some of those same kids and scolded them for smoking pot in my house. Yes, you heard that right. Lined them right up and said, now listen to this. I have loved you well, and I'm a little irritated that you've disrespected me. One of the boys wrote me a note of an apology. We've had people live with us over the years, some for a few months, some for years, and we all ate around that table. We had deep conversations about the real shit. Nothing was off the table, so to speak. We had dignitaries from Africa at our table and kids from the inner city at our table. I've sat at that table and poured and poured over scripture. It's at that table I wrote over 20 Bible studies and four books. I sat at that table and pastored countless, and I do mean countless women, about spiritual issues in their lives. There has been pain and tears and laughter and discovery and angst and aha moments. And it all happened around that table. It's holy. It's sacred. After each person shared their words, a friend stood up like a priest administering a benediction to the table, and he read a poem that he'd written for this special occasion, 
and I'm going to let you hear him read it. By the way, I need to tell you, there's an F-bomb at the end of the poem. It's right when he says, in a New York accent. So if that word will offend you when you hear him say, in a New York accent, you might want to bleep it. Let's listen to what my priest friend, his benediction over the table. If this table could talk, what would it say? If this table could talk, what would it say? It would speak of the people it's met along its way. Individuals hurting, such pain and such strife. Housemates asking the deepest questions of life. Of the relationships broken and relationships saved. And the roads to recovery, those seated helped pave. It would talk of the tears it caught when guests shared of their trauma. And the curse word or two, or three, about Presidents Bush and Obama. Of entrepreneurs that were encouraged and businesses started. Celebrations of friends, family, and heroes much too early departed. It would tell of the youth whose missions were inspired and the incredible good that can come from those stupidly fired. Of the written works composed on it, even sermons about Jesus and the personal stories it heard during those great wine and cheeses. Of the visitors who came from all over the globe whose pains and horrors would rival those of Job. Of the lamenting that occurred and the prayers for peace in the midst of heartache from loss or that wars might cease. It would speak of those things that have made its surface duller, the hands and the tears and the elbows of every color. Of course, there were meals, and they were better than good, but it was always the people who were served and not just the food. And now, as it prepares to be burned and cut into pieces, was it worth it, a quarter of a century serving the Reese's? If this table could talk, what would it say? In a thick New York accent, oh yeah, fucking A! Yeah, that was our benediction. And then we took her apart. We took her outside to the fire pit. We prayed a prayer of thanks to God. And then we set her on fire. It was beautiful. It was holy. It was sacred. And then we moved to Austin, where we didn't have a table in our apartment. And I remember the morning that we moved in I looked out over my balcony, and there, there's a park just outside, and there is a table out there (laughs) that seats about 22 to 35 people, and it's encircled by trees. And I took that to be a sign from Jesus that the table would continue. It may not look exactly the way it did the last 25 years, but the table would continue. And so here we are in the middle of a pandemic, and I think the thing I'm missing the most is the table. It's the good food and the good conversation with lots of you. I'm not sure how it will look or who will come when the pandemic is over, but I do know Jesus will bring people to the table because Jesus does amazing work around the table. And so I leave you with this passage of Scripture, Acts 2, 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, 
met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.